So, I have a confession to make, sort of a, a flaw that I feel about myself, kind of like a, something I'm not great at. Um, now, I'm not going to tell you everything because we only have 30 minutes for this. So, there's more. I could fill more than that time. But one thing in particular I want to share is I this unique little quirk. Um, I do not like the voice on the GPS. I turn it off. Like, I turn it off. I need a GPS. Like, I'm, I've reached the point in life where it's like, you don't even need to tell me anything. When someone's like, oh, here, come to my house. Here's how you get there. I'm like, I'm just going to plug it in. I'm just going to put it in Google. I'm not going to remember what you're telling me. I appreciate that. MapQuest days are over. I am just like, I'm going to punch it in and follow wherever it tells me to go. But I don't love the voice because when I'm in the car, I love to listen to podcasts. I love podcasts. I listen to podcasts all, every chance I get. I love podcasts. And if you have the voice on your GPS when you're listening to a podcast and it says, you know, turn right onto Westchester Pike, it pauses your podcast and sometimes like it doesn't pause it and it just plays it over and I miss some crucial thing. So I just turn the voice off. I leave it on. There's like three settings. There's off, on, and then there's like, uh, like emergencies. I don't know. Whatever the middle one was, that's the one I put on. And the only time I ever hear the voice is it says you're approaching a railroad crossing. It's very important. It's like it's very, very clear about telling me that. I've never once seen a train go across, but it tells me that's, that's the one thing it says. And that's fine. Like that's kind of how I live. And it's not really a problem until like it is a problem. Like this week I was driving to the trolley barn to meet with someone and I was in a Quaker town. It's a great restaurant. It's a, it's a great little, not really a restaurant. It's a, it's a great building that has like a bunch of little restaurants in it. It's great. Um, I was driving from an unfamiliar location. So I punched in my GPS and then I just kind of zoned out, listened to a podcast, looked down, missed my turn. Come on, man. All right. So fine. I go back, get my turn and I'm good. And it's not like, that's not a huge deal. It's not a big deal, right? But it, it, it's a much bigger deal uh, when we were driving to Chicago to see my parents with three small kids in the van and my wife was asleep in the front seat and I'm totally zoned out listening to a podcast and I have missed my turn. Because that drives 11 hours and I don't like the car. I don't like driving. Anything over 20 minutes is like borderline not worth it for me. And so another, I certainly don't want to make an 11 hour drive longer, especially not with three small kids in the car. My wife's asleep and, you know, she like wakes up and it's like, oh, you know, what happened? It's like, oh, it's just stuff. There's the, the it's traffic. You should have seen it. We're good now, though. Don't worry. We're totally good now. That's just what you wanted is to make an 11-hour drive longer. And that's what I did. I was so distracted that I missed the thing that I was actually looking for. I was distracted by something else, so I missed the thing I was actually looking for. And we're going to look at that idea as we continue our series, Come and See, sort of Jesus and Jesus' words. When we look at this Jesus' I am statement of, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you have a Bible, you can open to John 14. That's where we're going to look this morning. John chapter 14. We've been doing these for a little while, right? If you've been with us for any length of time, we kind of set up uh, this series by looking at what Jesus, what the way Jesus talked about in John 1 and in John, at the end of John, John 20, 21. And then we've done five I am statements. We've done light of the world. We've done bread of life. We've done shepherd. We've done I am the, the gate. We've done the, I am the resurrection and the life. And now we're going to look at I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is a great little nugget because Jesus kind of sums up everything. This is such a, a clear and complete picture of Jesus and who he is and what he came to accomplish. So let me give you some background on where, we're, where we are, where we're getting into, so we know uh, as we read. John 13 starts a really long conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. 
It takes place right before Passover. So that's kind of the setting in the Jewish calendar. Passover is a really big thing. And in a lot of ways, these are Jesus' kind of last moments with his disciples before he's arrested and ultimately crucified. And so he's sharing with them. He's teaching with them. He's teaching them. He's sharing stuff that's important. He's trying to get like everything in because he knows what's coming. So we're going to read a verse 1 of chapter 14. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answers him, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So that's the setting that we're going to look at where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And sometimes we need to, in preaching, you got to think of a creative framework to kind of unpack the story, but Jesus has just handed it on a silver platter. So we're going to look at those things. What does it mean that Jesus is the way? What does it mean that Jesus is the truth? What does it mean that Jesus is the life? So first is we're going to look at the way. Jesus is the way. And if you're a fan of the Mandalorian, then you might be like me, where you've said to yourself approximately a dozen times this week reading this, this is the way. And if you've never seen that show, you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's okay. So Jesus says he's the way, and that's significant that he would say that in this moment because the disciples are struggling right now. The disciples are confused. In fact, if we go back to the previous chapter, to John 13, Jesus is talking and he says, my children, verse 33, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus has given them a big command. He's like, you gotta love one another. You gotta model this. This is a really important thing. This is a tentpole idea for Jesus in his ministry. And, and, it, and it's a significant thing for the disciples moving forward. But Peter responds with this in verse 36. Lord, where are you going? And sometimes I think you'll hear me say this, before, maybe you've heard me say this before and you'll hear me say it in the future. Sometimes we read the Bible like a sterile textbook. We read it like this dry manuscript, but we need to read it like a transcript. This is a transcript of conversations, right? This is people talking. This is a real thing that happened. So there's some humor in this, right? Jesus told Peter, you know, I will only be with you a little longer. You know, where you look for me, you look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. But then he says, love, you got to do this thing. It's this really big, important thing. And it says that Peter is standing there going, okay, sure. No, I got that. Wait, what? Wait a minute. Where are you going? Can we go back to that other thing when you said you're going and we can go, what, 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 what just happened there? What does that mean? I'm sorry. Got it. Got it. Love. I'll write that down, somebody. But the, just the, the going thing, where are you going? We can see that there's, there's like fear and uncertainty in this. 
We see that because another question is asked. Jesus is saying, I go to prepare a place for you. You know the way to the place where I am going. In, in verses 14, 1 to 4, he lays this idea out, right? You know to the place where I am going. And Thomas goes to him, um, no. Actually, no. Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And I just imagine them looking between, between themselves like, do you know? Did he tell you? Did you are you supposed to tell us? Were you, do, do, do you know? They're just going, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? They're confused. They're unsure of what this all means. There's real fear and uncertainty under this. Their world is turning upside down. This cannot be happening because what Jesus is saying to them, or at least the way they're hearing it is, Jesus is not who we thought he was. Because if Jesus is the Messiah who's come to rescue, if Jesus is the Messiah who's come to free us from Roman oppression, if Jesus the Messiah who's going to come and establish this Jewish nation and, and help us overthrow these, these invading conquerors, you can't go anywhere. How can we do that if you're not here? That idea is so big for them because it's saying, is this all a lie? Have we been wrong about all of this? How can this happen if you're not here? They're distracted by their sense of what they needed. They're distracted by their idea of who Jesus was. And they didn't see Jesus for who he actually is. These are big questions. And that's why Jesus says in verse 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. That's not an insignificant thing. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Really what he's saying is set your hearts at ease. They're confused and discouraged and distracted by who they thought Jesus was and by what they wanted him to be. And so Jesus lays out who he, who he truly is in this, in this picture. He tells them, in my father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. And this is a Jewish wedding custom. There's really referencing this idea. The groom added to his father's house. He built his rooms onto his father's house. And then he came and he got his bride when the rooms were ready and, and they brought them back. Brought his, his bride back to these rooms once they were created. Jesus is saying, I prepare a place for you. I go and then I come back. And I will come back for you. There's such certainty and assurance in Jesus' words here. Right? There's such confidence in this. It's also matter of fact for him. One writer says it like this, Jesus never speculated about a future life. He spoke as one who is as familiar with eternity as one is with their hometown. Jesus is telling them, I am the way, I am the way, that I am going to prepare a place for you. He didn't challenge them to prepare their own place. He knew that they would fail. He knew that they would fail. I mean, he just, Jesus just told Peter in verse 38 of chapter 13, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. He knew intimately that they would fail. And yet he went to prepare a place for them on their behalf, regardless of their preparation. He went for them. Jesus is the way. That's what he's illustrating. We see that idea when he says, you know the place where I'm going because you know me and I've pointed you to the Father. No one can come to the Father except through me. He illustrates that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. You, when you see me, you get to see God that way. 
That's significant for us because we all want to know God in some way. I read in a, in a Pew Research study that they estimated 84% of the world's population is religiously affiliated in some way. We want to know God in some way. Jesus is that way. He's the only one who has actually been in the presence of God. He's the only one whose life is unstained by sin. His life and death and resurrection are the path by which we are reconciled to God. God's presence is where we long to be, where we need to be, where we were created to be. Jesus has prepared a place for us there and he leads us to it. Jesus is saying, I am the way. If you want to know the Father, you know me. I'm the way for you to get to him. He also says, I'm the truth. I'm the way and the truth. Truth is a hard concept for us sometimes. We don't like the idea of empirical truth. We want truth to be subjective. Right? We want truth to be subjective. Because when truth is, is subjective, we can define our own truth. Right? What's true for me? This is what feels right for me. We can define our, tr our truth by our experience. And sometimes people will say, when we, in, in a context like we're talking about now, sure, Jesus is good, right? I, Jesus is good, good guy, like pro, thumbs up. But don't all religions just say the same thing? Don't all religions point to God, right? So why does this really matter? This is as clear as it, as it gets for Jesus. I am the way and the truth. I am the truth. This, some people might find this, this troubling because this is an exclusive truth claim here. Jesus is explicitly exclusive. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. I am the way to, to God. I am the pathway to God, right? He's very clear about the exclusiveness of that idea. There's not many ways. There's one way. But it's also implicitly inclusive here. He's explicitly exclusive and he's implicitly inclusive because this idea is it's not a secret. Jesus is the truth of God most fully revealed. He's God in human form, come to earth to stand in our place, to live the life we should have lived and die the death we should have died so that we might be reconciled and restored to God. Jesus stands with open arms. We, he wants all to know him. This is not a members only club looking to exclude people. This is Jesus saying, I want all to come to the Father through me. By the way, if you like that framework of explicitly exclusive and implicitly inclusive, Charles thought of that off the top of his head on Friday when we were talking. Yeah, I was like, not cool, man. That's really good. That's really good. The disciples thought they understood the truth about God. They thought they understood the truth about Jesus. They thought they understood who he was supposed to be as the Messiah, rescuer, liberator, the one who would, who would set them free. And they were right just in the wrong way. They were struggling to fully understand the truth about Jesus. And we see that through Philip's question. Philip says in verse eight, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough. Lord, just show us the Father, which is not a small request. Because we see earlier in John, none have seen God except for Jesus. 
Moses didn't even see God. Moses saw the back end of God's glory and it blinded him. And so if what Philip is saying, like, I just have one small thing. If you could just show us the one thing that no one has ever seen on earth or could possibly see until heaven, just, it's just a small request. And Jesus' response to him is, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father that is in me? He basically saying, I have come on the Father's behalf. I speak with authority because I speak on behalf of the Father because the Father has empowered me. When you see me, you see the Father. That There's this essence of God's divinity that is present in Jesus because he is fully God and fully man. Essentially what Jesus is saying is right here, right here, you're looking at him. This is it, man, this is it. Jesus had given them the blueprint. It just wasn't the blueprint they wanted. Jesus is trying to hammer in over with these repeated references to the Father that Jesus is the truth about the Father most fully revealed. He speaks the words the Father gave him to say and did the things the Father, to, that the Father sent him to do. I am in the Father and he is in me is this sense of complete wholeness and unity. Jesus does not act on his own. He did not come to set up his own religion. He came to fulfill the plan of his father. He came to perfectly reveal his father. Jesus is the fullest expression, the fullest revelation of the truth of God. What's that mean? What We could never hope to fully understand God on our own. Jesus is God condescending to us, speaking to us in a way that we can understand. Jesus is God moving all the way towards us. Right? I like to think I'm a fairly smart guy and that there's stuff that people on earth know that I cannot possibly wrap my brain around. Like, the, like I know that a car has like a combustion chambers and like there's pistons and there's a crankshaft and that's like, and gas comes in and somehow is like blown up, but like in a safe way and like turns stuff so that stuff moves so that cars drive. And if you're a mechanic or work with cars, like part of you just died the way I explained that. So I don't fully know how those parts work together, but there's people who know that stuff cold, right? That's my favorite mechanic is, is the guy who's been doing it for so long that he, just, he can just rattle it off like it's nothing because he knows how everything works. So my point in sharing that is, it's, if there are things that other people on earth can understand fully that I can't understand, that other humans can understand far better than I do, how could I ever hope to understand fully and perfectly the God of the universe unless God moved towards me that I might understand? Unless God spoke in a language, in a context, in a culture that I can wrap my brain around? Unless God came as a human to step into time to meet me where I am? That's who Jesus is. He perfectly reveals the heart of God to humanity, reveals the character of God. He reveals his relationship with God. He reveals his purpose. Jesus' response to the fear of the disciples is so profound and simple. Trust in God and trust also in me. Trust in God and trust also in me. Believe in me. That's how we calm our hearts. Believe in me. 
There's something so simple about that, but something so meaningful. One of my children uh, over the last year plus uh, had really struggled with anxiety, really struggled with anxiety. And you see the fear kind of bubble up in her little heart. And as I watched her go through this, I saw so much of myself in that, how I respond to fear and confusion and uncertainty. When life is overwhelming, I don't mean every day, right? I don't mean like, like I go to Wawa and they're out of ham and I'm just like, my world is shattered. Though that would be pretty bad. But when big stuff happens, when I think of my life and the moments where I, where I have really struggled, where I have been discouraged, I see some of those patterns in my own life. And one of the things that I know is true for me is that I withdraw. I, I, I'll withdraw. I'll withdraw from people. I'll withdraw from God. At my absolute worst, that's my massively unhealthy coping mechanism. And part of that is me projecting onto God the failure and disappointment and shame that I feel about myself and assuming, well, God must feel that way about me too. And so I pull away. And I'm not alone in that. And we see the disciples here struggling, discouraged, wrestling as they feel their world begin to come apart at the edges. My wife and I were talking about this a couple years ago, and she said to me, withdrawing is only helpful when you withdraw to be with him. And I was like, darn, that's good. I am going to steal that. That will be helpful in a sermon someday. <laughs> because she's right. That's what Jesus is saying. If we're going to withdraw, withdraw to be with him or withdraw to be with the one who knows. Withdraw to the one who is truth, who doesn't point to truth or know the truth, but is truth, is in himself the truth of God. Jesus' solution to the complexity of life, the fear of the unknown, the uncertainty of the future, and the confusion of the present is himself. It's not a recipe or steps or things to do. It's him. Jesus is saying, believe in God and believe in me. He doesn't present a path. He is the path. He doesn't illuminate truth. He is the truth. He doesn't point towards life. He is the life. And I was challenged at such a deep level when that hit me. That Jesus is the greatest truth and that's more than enough. And he calls us to rest in him. Because when we feel things, we can bring it back to the one who is truth and say, is this real or not? And Jesus can remind us of who we are in him and who God truly is. Not how we feel about God in the moment, but who God truly is. And he does that because he wants us to experience the life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The way, the truth, and the life. So what is the life he's talking about here? We think often we, that we know what we really need to experience life. But the truth is we were created to live for something more than we would ever choose on our own. That there's a longing in our soul that we can't fulfill or satisfy on our own. We, we can't do that. We long for more. The life that we long to know and experience is only found in God. We were created to experience that life with him. What does that mean practically for you? If you're hurting... If you're struggling, if you're lonely, 
if you feel failure deeply and personally, if you don't feel like you're good enough, the life that you long to know is found in Jesus. The emptiness that you can't seem to fill with anything else is found in Jesus. That's what it means. But that's not all it means. If you feel good about your life, if you feel like, man, I'm successful, I'm, I'm accomplished, life's going good, I got a good job and I got a nice house and I got plenty of stuff and my, my kids all go to bed on time or are getting into their first choice universities. Like, I'm feeling pretty good. The life that Jesus is talking about here is a life that is exponentially greater than we could ever ask or imagine. It is richer than we could dream. Because I would push back on some of those feelings anyway and say, I think we understand in our soul when, that, there, that we have gaps we can't fill. But even if you've told yourself this, they've crafted this lie around your life that it's perfect and there's nothing else you long for, Jesus says, fine, the life I have for you is even better than that. Is even better than that. And we can participate in that life that Jesus lived. It's not a formula, it's living life with Jesus. This is one of those times as a pastor, it's like, I wish I could tell you a couple really simple things to do to to get this. Like, I really wish I could because I wish I could apply that to my life as easily. But here's the simple reality. I am a better version of myself the more connected I am to Jesus. I don't know how to say it better than that. And I don't mean like a slightly better version. I mean, God works in my heart and makes me new in ways I would never pursue on my own that I feel better about who I am. I'm a better husband, a better father, a better friend, a better pastor when God is working in my life because I'm connected with Jesus. It's just true. I wish I could bottle that and like just give it all to you for free and it's like drink this drink and like we're all there, but I can't do that. It's just being with Jesus because he is the life. He doesn't point to the life. He is the life. And because he is the life, we can't experience it when we're not in it with him. This is hope for us. That the things that we long for have an answer. And that answer's in Jesus. It's not, one author says it this way, it's not simply that Jesus is sent on a divine mission on behalf of the Father, but the Father himself is on a divine mission in the life of his Son. And so we experience that relationship with God when we live that life with Jesus. Jesus is not the way we get to God. He is the truth of God revealed and the life of God made accessible. Jesus doesn't present a path. He is the path. He doesn't illuminate truth. He is the truth. He doesn't point toward life. He is the life. So what do we do with that? When we are fearful or worried or uncertain or distracted, we can miss the thing that we are actually looking for. By turning the GPS voice off so I can listen to the podcast, I'm making a decision about what is most important to me in that moment. And the decision is, I want to listen to whatever Zach Lowe is saying about the NBA and not actually know where I'm going. And that is a poor decision. (laughs) But a similar attitude gets us in trouble. 
when we listen to other voices in our life, when we listen to other things instead of listening to the voice of God drawing us towards himself through Jesus. Jesus is that voice calling us to himself. So I want to leave you with three things, three things to think about. First is this, look to Jesus as the way. Look to Jesus as that way. What's that mean? See Jesus for who he truly is, the Son of God. the atoning sacrifice on our behalf, the one who stepped into our place. See Jesus for who he is and ask yourself, do you know Jesus? Do you actually know him or do you just know about him? The disciples spent lots of time with Jesus and still didn't fully understand. Is that true of you? That's okay if it is. Ask those questions. The disciples were confused, but the day came when they did understand. Ask those questions. See Jesus for who he is. Look to Jesus as the way. And the second thing is trust in Jesus as the truth. I remember a couple years ago when this idea just, just hit me like a ton of bricks. Felt like, it felt like a wave crashing over me. I was super stressed. It was a difficult season. And I remember just, it just hit me. Jesus' solution to the complexity of life, the fear of the unknown, the uncertainty of the future, and the confusion of the presence is himself. Jesus is the truth. Trust in him, believe in him, rest in him, know him, cling to him. When we believe something is true, our actions follow it, right? Action follows belief. So if we believe that Jesus is the truth, then our actions should follow that too. And the last is experience Jesus as the life. I don't think it's any coincidence that life comes last. Doing is only possible when we see and believe who Jesus is and we trust in what he has done. Experience that life, the richness of that life, of that union with God of the life we long to know, the life we struggle to fill on our own, live out what we see and believe in the name of Jesus by the power of his spirit for the glory of God. Folks, Jesus doesn't present a path. He is the path. He doesn't illuminate truth. He is the truth. He doesn't point toward life. He is the life. Would that be real to us all in a new way today? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that that's true, that you love us and have provided a way for us to be right with you. You've provided a way for us to be with you, that our actions, our sin, our brokenness has separated us from you, but you, in your love, have moved to us in your son that we might be restored and made right with you. You made a way where there was no way. You made a way that we did not deserve. Father, would you challenge us to experience that in a, in a deeper way today? No matter where we are in our relationship with you, would you help us to rest in you and lean into you that we might know the life you created us to know? We thank you that you love us that much. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.